Who do you say that I am? Lest you think that I prepared a homily for the wrong gospel, consider this question for a moment. Peter and the apostles were asked this question, and although St. Peter answered correctly, they still had a limited sense of who Jesus was. We see people in different ways, and this is especially true of those whom we love. We lay our expectations and hopes on them. The relationship soon becomes a mixture of wanting the other person to be whom we want him to be, as well as accepting him as he truly is. The relationship of the apostles with Jesus was something like that. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, but God forbid that you be crucified. How do we answer that question for ourselves? Who is Jesus to us? Well, Jesus is my friend, my brother, my savior, my one true love, perhaps a father figure of sorts, the human face of God, the Son of God. The list can go on and on. What if we saw him as he truly is in all his glory? We would be blinded by his light, for he is the second person of the Trinity. We would be terrified, and we would not know what to say. What Jesus' disciples saw in the transfiguration was his glory, a foretaste of the resurrection. This was the eternal word of God who had become flesh, who, cho who himself had chosen to pitch his tent among us in the Incarnation, God who had chosen to enter into our world. That is what the first chapter of the Gospel of St. John literally says, that the Word of God pitched his tent among us, or as we translate, dwelt among us. You see, perhaps Peter's words were not so off-base as we like to think, even though he didn't know what to say. The words about making three tents refers to when God dwelt with the Israelites in a tent with them through the desert and into the promised land until the time of Solomon when the temple was built. So why would we not want to make three tents, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for him? To have God here on earth as the Israelites did in the desert. Why not keep him here with us? What else is the tabernacle but a tent for our Lord, a meeting tent for us to visit? But it was not to last. The light of the transfiguration faded from view, and then they saw only Jesus. The vision of the two, two prophets was gone. That alternate reality, the really real, was no more, but somewhere beyond their senses. Echoes of the Father's words lingered in their minds and hearts. This vision was really only about Jesus, about his mission, about his beginnings and origins, and about his destiny, and about our destiny, too. They saw only Jesus, and somehow that was enough. This vision concluded with the comforting image of Jesus the Jesus whom Peter, James, and John knew and loved. 
It was like the comforting conclusions to a story. They lived happily ever after. Except they didn't. They didn't know what to make of Jesus' words that the Son of Man would rise from the dead. And they came down the mountain and descended into the valley of darkness, where salvation would be wrought at a price. Another day he would ascend another mount, the same series of hills where Abraham was tested in obedience. A son would carry the wood and the father's hand would be stayed. Another son would carry the wood of the cross and the father's hand would not be stayed. He would watch that son die on the cross, whereas Abraham would sacrifice not his son, but a ram which he found caught by its horns in a thicket. And the Son of God would have his head, would have his head wrapped in the thorns of another thicket. Captured by the very people he came to save, Jews and Gentiles alike, offered as a holocaust on another height. This would be his second transfiguration, not into light but into ugliness, a body disfigured by blows and scourges. So marred was his look beyond human appearance. People would not behold light but darkness, for seemingly the reign of sin would look victorious. It is as if the father ignored his son and looked past him to save his abandoned children. He who did not spare his own son, says St. Paul, but handed him over for us all. If he did not allow his son to be crucified, the reign of sin and death would still hover over us. But the crucifixion was only one part of this second transfiguration, which would be completed by his resurrection. When that radiant light from the first transfiguration would shine again, especially in the hearts of believers. If you want to understand the transfiguration better, read the first chapter of the Gospel of St. John. For the transfiguration is all about divine light that shines forth from Jesus Christ. For this is the light that scatters the darkness, of which darkness does not comprehend. This is about a God who chooses to pitch his tent among us so that this light can dwell in our midst. And our challenge, our difficult challenge, is to stay in the light. It is so easy to get discouraged by sin and evil, so easy to remain in the clutches of darkness. But the insistent presence of the Savior who dwells in tents or tabernacles in our world invites us to open our hearts to this light, to allow this light into the dark places of our life so that darkness can be scattered, to examine everything in this light. I don't think we do this well. My brothers and sisters, I think even faithful people don't stay in the light and don't examine everything that is in the illumination of this light. Could we look at ourselves and the world in this light? What would that be like? The whole universe is darkness in comparison with eternal light, says St. Ambrose. If we stayed in this light, what would we see? 
We would see the outstretched hand of the Savior as we rise out of the despair of our sins. We would see the father of the prodigal son running out towards us. We would see angels and saints, Moses and Elijah, and especially the Blessed Mother urging us to stay in the light. Our sins are a poor excuse to leave the light. Our sins are a poor excuse to leave the light. I often tell people that the best thing you can do after you have sinned is immediately go to adoration. You must combat the lie that says, I don't deserve to be in the light because of my sins. Just think, if I have sinned and I go before the Lord and examine myself in his light, what would I see? My ugliness? Or would I see my ugliness being transfigured by the beauty of his light, simply because I'm beginning to see things more clearly? The light scattering darkness in my soul. How beautiful is that? The only real danger is that I would fall in love with God more and more if I stayed in that light. Who do you say that I am? Lord Jesus Christ, you are the light of God, and I choose to stay in your light.